Hey, Manitou friends and family, why don't you guys stand with us this morning? Let's come before the Lord of Lords and worship. It's snowy outside, it's warm in here. We can make it a little warmer, yeah? Let's worship Him. a lamp unto my feet and your way is the only way for me it's a narrow road that leads to life but I want to be on it it's a narrow road the mercy's wide you're full of your promise come on I'll take you at your word. You said it, I believe it. I've seen how good it works. You started, you're completed. I'll take you at your word. You spoke and the case. Chaos fell in line. Oh, I know, cause I've seen it in my life. It's a narrow road that leads to life, but I wanna be on it. Yeah. Oh, it's a narrow road, the word is high. You part of the
you know, something that we get to do on this side of eternity that's so special is give the Lord glory. Even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of disease or pain, family dysfunction, financial issues. But on this side of eternity, we have the choice. And I feel like that's some of the most precious praise that we can give the Lord, is offering what we have, even when it's hard. But you know what? He deserves it. He gets the glory. Psalm 29 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. It's due. It's his anyway. All of this is a gift. Every breath that we have, even in the dysfunction, every breath that we have is a gift. And Jesus came so that we could have even more of a gift. We get to have eternity to give the Lord glory. And that's so special. So this morning, would you just take a little bit of time this morning to give the Lord glory, the glory that he is due. Would you sing with me this morning?
season we remember we remember you already you've already come you've already rescued you've already set things right Jesus we now anticipate that fullness coming we remember that you're coming again and that you bring with you a world without end where you are glorified and because we know you we know that is a world full of joy beauty and life without end. Remind us of that, Lord Jesus. Give us hints. Give us reminders as we come before you on these Sundays together as a group of people. Be glorified, Lord. Friends, take another moment and just look around at the people who you're with because this is the other important part of church is the faith journey can be, it can be long and it can be lonely sometimes. I think we need to remind ourselves that church happens so that we can do this together, that we can remember together, anticipate together. And the other thing we do every Sunday is we give. And we do that because we want to mirror a world that's coming when all the needs are met. There's no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness. And we can, we can give a little glimpse to each other of that world coming into a world who's desperately in need through our giving. So there's a few ways that you can do that. We'll put it up on the screen there. Uh, take some time this morning to do that. We're gonna continue to worship. And again, set your hearts on that anticipation. We remember during this Advent season and we anticipate the coming again. Let's continue to worship.
for watching online. Those of you who are here with us online, thank you for waking up and coming on this snowy morning. I know it's a little crazy out there, but thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, so at this moment, the kiddos can be dismissed. And would you turn and greet your neighbor and say hello? And Jordan will be up here in the, with the word in just a moment.
Well, good morning, my friends. Go ahead and have a seat. It's so good to see y'all on this Sunday morning. Um, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Jordan Lewis, and no, I am not the regular pastor here. That privilege and honor is for Dr. Joe and Erica Kirkendall, who are currently in Minnesota, but they will be back next week, um, and I have the honor of being with y'all today. So we are going to have a joyful Sunday morning and continue on in the spirit of worship. Our worship team, y'all, that was anointed. Thank you so much. Amazing. Yes. Awesome. Well, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And for those who are unfamiliar with Advent, like until I started coming to New Life four years ago, I was unfamiliar with Advent. Um, Advent is a four-week period where we wait for and anticipate Christmas. But we don't just wait for the presents or time with family or those cheesy Hallmark movies that you might love but I personally hate because they're so predictable, or the candy canes or the hot chocolate. We are waiting for what Christmas really means, which is the coming of Christ the Messiah. Advent is our season to remember why he came. And I will define Advent as this. Advent is the joyful anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises through Jesus. The joyful anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises through Jesus. That's Advent. Jesus is the one our lives depend on and the one we are all anticipating to show up in our daily lives and in the ultimate eternal life. Advent is a time to remember whose story we are a part of. Our lives are threads in the fabric of a story about God and his family. We are not isolated incidents here by happenstance. We are members of a family and we are important people in a story about God and his love that is poured out on us. Like I mentioned before, I didn't grow up with Advent, but I do have a reverence now for a season in which I can remember and reorient myself, remember and reorient toward what and who is important. Advent has been observed by many churches for centuries. Maybe some of you grew up with it. And each of the four weeks of Advent, as some of you know, have a specific theme. So this week, the first week, we get to talk about hope. But what is interesting about hope for this week is that it's a time to remember all of the prophetic promises that Israel received about their Messiah, the coming king, who is Jesus. The people of Israel were waiting for a promise from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is who Israel, the people of Israel, were waiting for, for their Messiah. That's who we are waiting for as we wait for our Messiah to show up in our lives. Israel was anticipating and waiting for a Messiah who would fulfill the covenant God made to them, the kingdom that would have no end. We sang about it. For them, for Israel, in essence, they were waiting for peace the protection and provision that comes with power. That's what Israel was waiting for. That's what we're waiting for. From the time Adam and Eve were ushered out of the Garden of Eden and until Jesus returns, all of heaven and all of earth are in a time of longing and anticipation. It is a long advent, if you will. And as we wait for Jesus to return and make the earth and our souls whole in the way that we're longing for, we are waiting for him to make things whole in the way that he promised. 
This long waiting comes with groaning and hurts and disappointment and confusion. A lot of us can feel that in the room. But because we wait alongside heaven, and quite frankly, alongside God, we do not have to wait without hope. We can be blessed in our hope, blessed while we wait. And that's what I want to talk about today. But first, let's take a moment to pray. God, thank you. Thank you for our beautiful friends in the room. Thank you for those who are watching online. Thank you for Joe and Erica and the boys. God, lift them up. Cover them with peace. Fill them with joy as only you can. And God, for those of us here today, Lord, there's so many of us in a longing and a waiting. God, I pray that we would wait with courage, that we would wait with hope, that we would wait with joy. God, as we are in this moment um, of hearing your words, Lord, I pray that you would um, revive promises in people's hearts. Promises that people have set aside, I pray that you would bring them back to remembrance. Discouragements that have covered up hope, God, I pray you would remove discouragement and that you would have um, a well of hope bubble up in each one of us and overflow. God, I thank you that you are the hope that does not disappoint. And God, I pray you would restore the hope in people's souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. No one needs this Advent sermon more than I do, which is convenient that I'm preaching it, because when it comes to anticipation and waiting for good things, I am notorious for my impatience. Don't tell me you have a present for me, because I will not rest until I receive it. And I am notorious, any of my friends know, that I will make you tell me what the present is, because I just can't wait. You can wait to give it to me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, no, you need to tell me what it is. Tell me right now. And the thing that benefits me in that is that I am just as excited to receive the present, even though I already know what it is. But for me, I just like to say, you know, receiving is a spiritual gift of mine. Um, as some of you know, um, I was born and raised here in Colorado, um, and I loved growing up here, went to school in Denver, um, but after I graduated with my master's, I moved to Utah for a period of time um, for, for work, so it was great. Um, and I loved, you know, being in my early 20s, going on the adventure, doing all the things. It was great. The one thing I missed about being here with my family was birthdays. Growing up, my family every year would always do something special for our birthdays, whether it's making, you know, like us a special cake. For me, my favorite food is lasagna. So every year, I'm like, it is my birthday. We are having lasagna. And that is that, right? So when I moved from Colorado to Utah, I was a little bit like, okay, I still love my birthday. Anyone who knows me knows I have a birthday month. Um, so I've always been like that. Um, but I love my birthday so much. Um, so being away from family, I was kind of bummed, you know, but I'm like, I'm still just going to make this great because it's my birthday and I love it, right? So I remember being in my early 20s living in Utah, um, and it was the year that I was turning 25. So I like, you know, had a whole birthday plan, had my whole birthday outfit and was just like, I'm ready to go. It was great. So it was a week before my birthday and I got home from work. I lived and worked downtown. So I got home to my, you know, small little one bedroom apartment. And as I come up the stairs to the second floor and I'm walking down the hallway, you know, just uh, I'm done with my work day. I'm great. I see a giant brown box on the front of my door. So and I'm like, what is that? 
So I like basically, you know, speed walk to my, to my door. I didn't want to trip down the hall. Um, and I look at the box and it's a box for my, for my parents. I was so excited, so I like take out my key, I open the door, kick down my door. Like, I swear, I didn't even take off my coat or my shoes or anything. I was just like, what is this? I rip open the box, and it was from my parents, like I mentioned, and there was a list of 25 different items for my 25th birthday. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best. You already know I love presents, and I was just like, I'm so excited. So I like look at each of the presents. I got like, I'm a poet, so I got a poetry collection from Maya Angelou, one of my favorite poets. Like my mom got me snacks and like my dad wrote me cards. So it was just the most glorious, wonderful, epic thing. So I opened all 25 presents, then I call my mom. And I was like, mom, oh my gosh, I got the box. Thank you so much, this is the best, you know, whatever. And she just laughs and she's like, oh, you're so welcome, you know, da, da, da. And she's like, um, but I just gently need to tell you it's not your birthday yet. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, your birthday's next week. Like, it's, it's, the box came early. You were supposed to wait until your birthday. <laughs> and I, to my defense, there were no instructions to say wait until your birthday. So I'm like, I just, I was so, so pumped. Um, so it's, that's kind of how I think about Advent. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, Jesus came, and here he is, and this is so exciting. Um, but we all know that life is not um, that simple. It's like me and my joyful 25-year-old delight like could open this box of presents, and it's so exciting, and it's so great. And I wish that that's what life could be like for everyone all the time, looking forward to things, being excited about things, anticipating things, opening presents out of excitement and joy. But we all know that life is not that simple. We all know that it's a bit more complex. And so I'm, I'm glad that we can have a both and, that we serve a God where we can be joyful and excited and have hope. But also there is a reality that we all know. There are stories that we're all carrying in the room right now where we have tensions, where we have things that are keeping us up at night, things that we're praying through, things that we're hoping for, things that we're anticipating with some fear and some trembling and some tension. That's real. But our God can hold both, and so we get to increase the capacity of our souls to hold both of those things. But the Israelites knew this tension as well as they waited for their Messiah, the one who would save them from oppression, the one who is their hope. So let's go back to the beginning. Why did Israel need to hope and wait for the Messiah who is King Jesus? Why do we need to wait? God made a beautiful garden, put Adam and Eve in it, told them to be fruitful, multiply, have dominion on the earth. They had everything they needed in the garden, and then in a moment, everything was gone, right? Then comes the great flood. Noah and his family are saved, and God gives Noah the same mandate, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Then there's Abraham. Abraham comes from Noah's lineage. We all know about Abraham. He had many sons, many sons that father Abraham, yeah. Um, so Abraham comes. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him, all the nations of the earth, so on and so forth. God makes a covenant with him, tells him kings will come from his lineage, nations will come from him. God makes the same promise to Isaac and eventually Jacob. So that's how we get the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there are three generations of covenant, 
until we get to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with God and his 12 sons. So that whole tribe grows into a mighty nation, but then they end up becoming enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. What kind of promise is that? How can kings come from an enslaved people? But God remembers his covenant with his people and delivers them out of slavery into the promised land, right? So we get the whole, you know, if y'all saw the prince of Egypt, like we get the whole like deliver us, you know, right? They get delivered into the promised land. But then what happens? Israel disobeys the covenant and ultimately they are led into exile, conquered by other kings and nations who oppress them over and over and over again. Prophets come to tell Israel, return to God, come back to God. But Israel doesn't listen because they believe that God was holding out on them. It was the same lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden. God's holding out on us. Let me take this fruit. Let me step outside of what God asked me to do because I don't trust him. I don't believe him. Adam and Eve fell into that deception. Israel fell into that deception. We've fallen into that deception, right? Then... The last book of the Old Testament, the letter from the prophet Malachi doesn't seem promising either. The last word of the Old Testament, if you look at it on your Bibles or in your Bible app, the literal last word of the Old Testament is the word destruction. That's the last word of the Old Testament. What kind of promise is that? How is Israel supposed to hold on when the last word spoken is destruction? And not only that, But after the final word of destruction, there was 400 years of silence from the Lord. No prophetic words from prophets, no promises, nothing. How was Israel supposed to have hope and hold on? How are we supposed to have hope and hold on in the areas of our lives where we feel like we had a promise and now we're in exile and we've been conquered? in the areas where we feel like the last word spoken is destruction, and now there's silence. How are we supposed to have hope? It would be easy for Israel to think that God forgot his covenant about them and that he forgot his promises. Nothing worked out for them. They were an oppressed people. All the evidence points to God abandoned them. God forgot about them. God was angry with them. Nothing worked out in their favor. God gave up. That's what all the evidence seemed to say. And we know what that feels like, don't we? We know what it feels like for the evidence of our lives, the diagnosis, the divorce, the the rage, the, the, the destruction that we feel in our own lives. We know what all of that feels like. We know what it's like to think God abandoned us, God left us, God forgot about us. But here's what we can be assured of. We have hope because we can be assured that God will remember his promises to us and will do what he said he would do. We have hope because we can be assured that God will remember his promises to us and will do what he said he would do. The last word of the Old Testament was destruction. But let's look at what the first words of the New Testament are. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These words may not seem special, especially the word genealogy. That's a boring word, right? But there are three important names revealed here. 
one, Jesus Christ, which means the Messiah has come. So the Israelites listening to this book, because it was an or orated to them at the time, they're listening to this and they hear Jesus Christ and they know, wait, Christ means Messiah. Jesus has come. David, that means God's kingdom has come and the one he promised to establish on the throne forever has come. There were so many scriptures and prophetic words about David, you'll have someone on your throne forever and ever and ever, which seemed ironic when the Israelites were hearing that because at that point they were in exile and they had been conquered. There was no king. They were taken over by other nations. So for them to hear David, it's a signal to them, oh, the one that God has established for us has come. Abraham, which means God did not forget his covenant. So they hear the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Messiah has come, the kingdom God promised has come, and God did not forget his covenant. So after destruction and 400 years of silence, the book of Matthew essentially opens with the words, God has not forgotten. God did not forget Israel, and God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you at all. So we celebrate Christmas and observe Advent as a way to remember Jesus came, and therefore, we have hope. Jesus came, and therefore, we have hope. God fulfilled his promise to Israel, and God has fulfilled his promise to us in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, we have everything we need. There's an old gospel song called Jesus Be a Fence All Around Me Every Day, and in millennial culture, people have taken that and have applied it to anything. So it's like if you have an empty tank of gas, Jesus be a full tank of gas, right? Or my mom, she loves to buy lotto tickets every once in a while. Don't tell her I told you. Um, so she'll say, oh, Jesus be, be a winning lotto ticket, you know? And so for us, it's kind of like Jesus, we have everything we need. And in a way, it's like, well, but I still have this medication that I need or I still have this person I need to reconcile with, or I still have fill in the blank. So is Jesus literally going to come in and be those things? Maybe, maybe not. But when I say in Jesus, we have everything we need, I mean, we do not have to go through life with despair or with discouragement because Jesus is the one who enters in to our dark night to be the light that overcomes darkness. That's what I mean. So Jesus is born. The promise of Israel, though, comes in the form of a tiny baby. Like, Jesus was in Mary's womb, was born the way all of us are born, and is just like a little thing. Like, how would anyone recognize him as the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace that the prophet Isaiah foresaw? How would anyone have held out on hope long enough after the word destruction after 400 years of silence, would anyone recognize the Messiah when he came in the form that we didn't even expect him in? The answer is yes. Two of my favorite people in the Bible are named Simeon and Anna. They are two um, older people in scripture, and there's only a few verses about them. But to me, they are the perfect models and examples for how to cultivate hope as we wait for Jesus, even after destruction and after silence. 
So let's read what scripture says about them. <clears throat> Luke 2, 22 through 38. This is a chunk of scripture, so stick with me. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, this is talking about Mary and Joseph, they brought him, meaning Jesus, as a baby, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So you have these two saints who recognize the hope of Israel as a baby from the hour he arrived in the temple with Joseph and Mary. And that's what I want to be like, to recognize Jesus no matter what form he comes in, even if he's not in the way that I expected. And I want that for myself. I want that for us because there are so many things in our lives that are constantly going to try to strip away our hope. There are stories that you're rehearsing to yourselves right now, things that you're carrying where you know, yep, my hope has been stolen or I'm, I'm being tempted to give up. But what I want us to do today is to cultivate hope within our hearts. And what we can learn from Simeon and Anna this first week of Advent is that hope doesn't come because we're trying super hard or because we're trying to figure things out. Hope comes from the spirit of God and the presence of God. Hope comes from the spirit of God and the presence of God. That's why those of you who are in the room, those of you watching online, us being together, us worshiping together, us exalting God above our circumstances, above our feelings, and remembering, okay, God, I know what you said. I believe what you promised. Like, that's how Simeon and Anna were able to recognize Jesus, because they rehearsed the prophetic words. They rehearsed the promises. They rehearsed the things that, that the prophets had said about when Jesus would come, so they could recognize him, but only by the Spirit of God and only in the presence of God. Some people say it takes God to want God, um, and that's what the Holy Spirit is for. So we don't have to 
figure things out on our own and try to conjure up extra faith or extra hope. We get to say, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to have that hope. I don't know how to, to revive that in my heart, but you do. So please give me hope. Please fill me with hope. And the Holy Spirit will help us. That's what he's here for. Um, one of my friends, Lisa Grothy, came up with an amazing acronym to help her make peace with waiting and to help her cultivate hope. And I think it will be a gift to us as well. My friend Lisa defines the word wait as this. Worship, anticipate, intercede, and trust. So when we think about waiting, we worship, anticipate, intercede, and trust. So let's start with the W, worship. Worship helps us set our gaze on Jesus, and he is the only one worthy of our hope. It's so tempting to get caught up in circumstances and to say, well, I need this outcome, or I need it to turn out this way. If it turns out that way, then I'll be, then I'll be happy about it. But our God is not that fragile. He's a bit more robust than that. He's the same one where as soon as Adam and Eve fell, he already had a plan. He already knew Jesus was coming. He's the same one where he wanted to wipe out everyone because people were so evil. But he had his eyes on Noah and said, let's keep going. He's the same one where who knows why he chose Abraham, but said, hey, Abraham, I see you, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. Like, God is the one that we're talking about. We may be afraid of fire. We may be afraid of disease. We may be afraid of lions and bears and tigers. Oh, my, all the deal. But our God is not afraid of anything because he's the one who is sovereign and has conquered everything. So when we worship, we get to reorient ourselves and refocus ourselves and magnify God above our problems. So Simeon and Anna were able to recognize Jesus and glorify God because they were in the place of worship, and that's the place that we need to stay in. A, anticipate. Anticipate means that we expect the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. We expect the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives, not that they will turn out a certain way. We expect the fulfillment that no matter what, my God is able. No matter what, I know God loves me. No matter what, I know God cares for me. I'm so impressed by the Apostle Paul because he had this concept in death and in life, I get to belong to Christ. Like that, that is how we focus ourselves. Not so much on it has to turn out this way. Does God do miracles? Yes. Will the Lord do miracles for people in this room? Yes. Will the Lord do miracles for all of you? I hope so. And I believe it in Jesus name. So I'm not saying prepare yourself for disappointment at all. What I'm saying is, no matter what, you can trust the Lord. And you can trust that no matter what destruction tries to sweep through, or no matter what silence you feel, no matter what dark night of the soul you're in, God is the light that overcomes darkness every time. So that's why we can anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises, because we can be victorious no matter what circumstance we're in. Intercede means that we pray and align ourselves with the word of God while we wait. This is how hope is cultivated. We have to speak life, and we have to speak God's word into our circumstances. For me, I'm, I'm tempted to do this all the time, where I'm like, well, the evidence says that this isn't working out. Or, but I feel really sad, so that's just what I'm going to align myself with. But we have all of these scriptures in here, it's like open your Bible and choose one, right? 
There are things that say we are the head and not the tail. We are above only and not beneath. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We, we, have, we have victory in Jesus. Like, there are promises in here. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. And some of you, you didn't cause your circumstances, but if you still feel oppressed and overtaken by them, I, I'm speaking to myself as well, I would gently challenge you and say maybe you feel pressed down and weighed down, not just because the situation is difficult, but because you aren't using the weapon that you have in opening up the Bible and speaking and declaring the promises over yourself. Will you feel like it? No. Will it be hard? Yes. Will things change overnight? Probably not. Will there be things where you're so frustrated by? Yes. Will there be things that seem like they're getting worse before they get better? Yes. So I'm, this is not a magic abracadabra at all. What I'm saying about this is the enemy doesn't really care if your circumstances work out for you or not. What he is after is your hope, and he is after your soul. So there are some people who have difficult circumstances, but they know how to decree and declare the promises of God. So the enemy can't really get to them, right? Your circumstances are some things just life happens. Some things where you're like, I don't know why this thing keeps turning out poorly for me. It could be that the enemy, because we, we love God, we serve God, but we have an enemy. It could be that the enemy is like, oh, I want to kill, steal, and destroy, but really he's after your heart, and he knows what's going to mess with you. We, the enemy frustrates me to no end, but he is not a fool. He is not stupid. He knows people. He knew how to deceive Adam and Eve. We weren't in the garden. We weren't there. He knows how to deceive us. He knows how to hurt us, and that's what he's after. But because we have Jesus, we can conquer and we can overcome but it comes when we apply the promises of scripture to our lives and to our hearts and say, no matter what, God has my back. No matter what, I'm a child of God. No matter what, God is not ashamed to call me a son or call me a daughter because I'm his. That's, that's what we fight with. When we think about um, spiritual warfare, like the enemy trying to press against us, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So some of you have been looking for a way out and you think your way out is my circumstances have to change. I hope your circumstances do change. But I also know if you and I do not build up and cultivate hope, it doesn't matter. Like our circumstances will change and we'll still be susceptible to discouragement and we'll still be susceptible to despair and we'll still be susceptible to turning our hearts away from God. We serve a God who stands in the furnace of the fire with us we serve a God who shuts the mouths of lions. Like, that's who we serve. So that's who we get to focus on. And in that, our souls and our hearts will be resilient. But, and then God can come through. But he'll come through in a way where he strengthens our hearts and we remember who we belong to, no matter what our circumstances look like. Because even if circumstances in your life change and get better, and I hope they do, there's still a world out there that's dying. There are still people who don't know anything about the light and the love of Christ. So it's not just us who we need to take care of. It's like our lives will turn out. God will have our back. God will cover us. But then we have to look out for our brother and sister. We have to look out for other people who need hope, who need that life, who need that joy.
So pardon me, a pastor's gonna preach. But I, I, I want that for us. The last one is trust. So we trust in God and we trust that he is good and that he who promises faithful. Simeon and Anna trusted in God and he was faithful to do what he promised he would do. And they saw Jesus, they saw the Messiah. I will also add that we wait daily. It's an everyday renewal and remembrance of who God is and how he has fulfilled his promise to us in Jesus and will continue to fulfill his promises to us. The worship team can come back up. I'll say this. Romans 5.5 5 is one of my favorite verses. And it says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Us having hope, we do not have to be ashamed or disappointed by having hope. But it's not because we have hope and everything's going to turn out the way that we want it to. We don't know that. We have hope because we know God loves us and God could, he could have stayed in heaven. He could have not intervened for anybody, but he chose to give his promises. He chose to send his son. He chose to give us the Holy Spirit. That is why we have hope because we do not have to go through life alone. It's the love of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our hope in Jesus is not about waiting for a specific outcome again or hoping that things will turn out the way we want it to. We trust in a God who loves us and sent his son for us. Our hope in Jesus is about a person who has come and will come again to make everything right according to his will. And in this Advent season, we can hope in God as we rejoice in the fulfillment of his promises through Jesus and continue to wait in joyful anticipation. Amen. Our communion service can come down. You do not have to belong to New Life Manitou to partake in communion with us. If you love Jesus um, and want to receive strength from his body and his blood, I would invite you to come receive. So you'll come toward the center aisle and circle back around to your seat, and then I will come up and lead us in communion.
more time. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy. All together wonderful to haven't already, please open your elements. What's such a relief to me about communion? I take communion almost daily, not because I'm super holy, but because I need to remember. And communion is so tangible. It's so physical, a way for us to remember, oh, Jesus came. I can have hope. I don't have to figure anything out by myself. I don't have to stay in a whirlwind of despair. I have everything I need in Jesus. So as we take the the bread, the wafer, which represents Jesus's body, we can remember that this represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. By his body, we receive healing. By his body, we receive wholeness. By his body, all of the empty parts in us, the cracks in our soul, the the ways that discouragement and despair have taken over, we get to be made whole again in an instant because of the body of Jesus. You may receive. And the cup, which represents the new wine of the covenant. It's the new covenant for us. So the old covenant of, of darkness, the old covenant of, of our minds being clouded with darkness, the old covenant of, um, of we're just trapped and we're wrapped up and we can't get ourselves together, that is washed away and the new covenant has come through the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for us. You may receive. God, we thank you. We thank you that we get to glorify you and magnify you and honor you and exalt you above all of the cares of the world. That we get to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. You care for us. I rebuke the lie that anyone has in this room or is watching online that because of difficult circumstances, God, that you don't care about them. I rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that you care about us, which means that you are not afraid of our pain. You are not afraid of our brokenness. You are not afraid of our anger. You come and meet us the way a good father would. You pick us up and you hold us and you care for us. God, I pray for relief and reprieve from difficult circumstances for people people who have diagnoses, people who have financial burdens, people who are just stressed out because of relationships or just stressed out because their life is just stressful. They can't even pinpoint why. Lord, I pray that your presence would be made manifest and would be made known because of tangible peace that surpasses all understanding. So God, we thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for your hope and we receive it 
and we know that it does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint because it is your love poured out upon us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, my friends, I loved hanging out with y'all this morning. A couple of announcements. One, um, for the Christmas parade on next Saturday, we are going to be stapling 2,000 um, Christmas Eve invites to Candy Canes. So if you have 30 minutes to stay with us, help us get that together, that would be great. Um, the other announcement for the women, we are having our women's Bible study this upcoming Thursday at 6.30. It'll be here. So if you can come, come, would be wonderful. And if you would, open your hands to receive a blessing. My friends at New Life Manitou, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift you up by the light of his countenance and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen, my friends. Love you all. See you next week.